Gary Schultz, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, John. Gary, I really appreciate you doing this uh, under rather unusual circumstances. We are taping this uh, actually seven years almost to the day after this story uh, became a, a national sensation in November of 2011. Uh, but we're, we're not going to be making this public because uh, of the uh, situation involving your conviction and the fact that you're still under parole and that you're concerned about uh, what uh, potential repercussions there could be for speaking uh, what you believe to be the truth about this. So I want to make sure that that context is understood. Uh, and I'd like to take you back to to that that time period of seven years ago this week. Uh, I'm sure this does this week still uh, come with it uh, a, a lot of uh, negative feelings uh, for you, as I assume it must be seven years after uh, your indictment, the firing of Joe Paterno, the arrest of Jerry Sandusky, and everything else that went with that. Uh, yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, I guess. Uh... You know the anniversaries are, uh, you know, particularly uh, uh, aggravating and, and frustrating for me. But you know, it, it's something that's with me every day, and you know, I think about it literally every day. Every single day, no doubt. And when you think about it, what do you what do you mostly think about? Oh, geez, lots of things. Uh, uh, the injustice of it all. I think is the bottom line. Um, the um, my confidence shaken in our supposed system of justice, um, uh, that type of thing, John. And, and there's many facets to that that you know you can dwell on. Whether it's the attorney general's office, uh, whether it's uh, Cynthia Baldwin, whether it's Louis Free, whether it's the board of trustees. There's so many things that uh, it's, it's kind of a collage of, of screw-ups, and with I think a um, you know a, a terrible focus on, uh, on 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 trying to get somebody rather than trying to understand the truth and to honestly administer justice. I, I didn't have a sense, or don't have a sense, that that was in any buddy's mind as as this was going on so it, it just it's, it's a lot of hurt and anxiety and and frustration it sounds like this has taken an enormous toll on you personally not just because you uh spent a couple months in prison and you had your freedom greatly restricted but just from an, an emotional psychological standpoint it sounds like it's taken a lot of toll well yeah i i, I would acknowledge that yeah absolutely um you know, I, I have to say, I, I felt I was really living the life of, you know, it was, a, it was a dream life. I had a great job at Penn State. I worked for 38 years, uh, went up through the ranks, became a senior vice president, uh, did that job for about 15, 16 years. Uh, think I did it very well and uh, was recognized and rewarded uh, accordingly. And, uh, you know, so I get into retirement. I'm sitting very nicely in, in my retirement years, and then, you know, all of this comes crumbling down on my head. And uh, so it, it substantially changed uh, my life and uh, my family's life quite, quite candidly. Well, um, I know it's changed my life, but not nearly as much as it's changed yours. Uh, and virtually almost everybody this thing has touched, it's been in a – 
in a negative and an unjust fashion. But, but And I, I'm really sorry that that's happened to you, but I, I do want to make sure that we get on the record uh, your version of the truth, which I believe to be the truth. Um, so can let's go back to specifically this week that we're talking seven years prior. So Jerry Sandusky gets arrested, and, and shortly thereafter, uh, you and, and Tim Curley, who was the, the athletic director at Penn State uh, during all this, you guys get indicted. G- give me your, your level of, of shock or your, just your, your reaction to, to the events that occurred before, before we get to Joe Paterno. Those initial events, yeah. give, me, give me a sense of, of, of how shocked you were about what was happening. Well, John, it, it, it honestly was surreal. Um, I happened to be in uh, Disney World seven years ago and um, with my uh, daughter and, and grandchildren, and um, we were going to dinner, and, um, and I got a, a phone call uh, from Graham, uh, Graham Spanier. Graham Spanier is the Graham. president of, of Penn State at this time. Correct, correct. Yeah, Doctor Spanier, the president of Penn State. Anyway, we set up a, an evening phone call that included Cynthia Baldwin. Um, Cynthia Baldwin so, was Penn State's counsel. Yeah, she was serving as general counsel at that point. That's correct, John. And uh, so we had set that up timing-wise so that uh, Tim Curley and I would both be on the phone at the same time with both uh, Graham Spanier and Cynthia Baldwin. And you're retired, it's important to point out. Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. I've been retired for a couple years, but ironically and coincidentally, uh, my successor um, decided to move on to another job, and Graham asked if I would come back in an interim capacity until they hired uh, you know, the more permanent person. So I was actually back working at Penn State from uh, the middle of September until early November. Mm-hmm. And so um, I took that. I, I agreed to do that with the with uh, Graham's understanding that uh, I had this vacation planned, and uh, I, I didn't want, you know, this temporary work situation to uh, – Mm-hmm. interfere with that and he agreed to that so okay. i i was working uh on this interim capacity but at the moment i was i was on vacation and and, it, and at this point even, jerry sandusky has not been arrested yet has he or is no he, okay no okay no that evening uh when tim curley and and graham spanier and cynthia baldwin and i were all on the phone um no, in fact, I think Tim was there. I was on the phone, but Tim was physically there at uh, the president's house. And uh, the purpose of this meeting was uh, for Cynthia Baldwin to advise us that we were going to be indicted, um, that she got inside information from the attorney general's office that there would be a presentment that was going to be released uh, shortly. And uh, it, it just blew me away. I just, uh, it was incredulous. It was, how could this be? On what basis? You know? So this was not even in the realm of possible scenarios that you had contemplated at this point? No, of course not. No, I mean, you know, I, I had some awareness that there was, obviously I had some awareness that there was some investigation into Jerry Sandusky. I, I was aware of that. And, well, just, to, just for people to remember, they don't know. At this point, uh, you know, being, before you'd been called out of retirement, you had been called to testify 
to a grand jury. And, That's and, correct. And, in and, January that was that year. Right. And, and when you testified, you're being asked about something that you're told at the time had occurred in March of 2002. That turned out to be false but, uh, and, and critically false. But you're, you're asked about that in the grand jury, and you're just trying to remember your version of, of what you were told and what you remember happened. And you're thinking, you're, I'm assuming, you're thinking you're, you're like a collateral witness, right? You're not even integral to this. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I, I think very fair. And, and you know, further, um, we were advised about a week before we went to uh, testify. When I say we, it was Tim Curley and I. Both were um, subpoenaed to testify at this grand jury. A week prior to it, um, Cynthia Baldwin, again, general counsel, advised us that uh, this was an investigation into, into Jerry Sandusky and that um, we were being called to testify as to what we could recall to be helpful. She said, tell them anything and everything that you can recall about it. And um, she says, you know, it's understandable that you can't remember a lot of things. It's quite a while ago. Uh, just do the best you can. And to be clear, you testified, and it has always been your testimony, that uh, that in the conversation you had with Mike McQuery, who was the person who allegedly saw Jerry Sandusky sexually assaulting a boy in a Penn State shower, that to, that your recollection, Mike McQuery had never told you anything that was consistent with reporting a sexual assault, correct? Absolutely. He did not uh, even hint that, any, that he felt that there might be something sexual going on. And that was really the essence of your testimony, because that's the only thing you really knew. Uh, is, am I right or not? I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I, I don't have your grand jury. Te- I don't think it's even been made yeah, public. I, I think, yeah, that's exactly right. Um, but, but uh, you know, as, as a um, kind of further context, it was very clear when I went down there uh, that the, uh, the attorney general folks felt that there was really something seriously sexual going on. It was very clear. And did, and, that, and did that surprise you when you got that yeah. sense? Oh, absolutely. It certainly did. Um, <laughs> I kept saying, no, you know, there were, <laughs> we were interviewed before the grand jury uh, in a private session with attorney general investigators and, and lawyers. And um, they kept saying, you know, did you think something sexual was going on? And would be no, you know, no, of course not. So in this meeting, an investigator said to me, so you don't think some guy sticking his dick up a kid's ass is sexual? I said, I never heard such a thing. I couldn't believe it. So, I mean, it, it, it just blew me away. I was really shaken to know that that was the kind of thing they had thought was going on. Now, did it ever occur to you that, as you thought this through, that this was going to turn around on you and Tim for not having done anything about it or not done enough about it? Did that occur to you, or, or were you still in the in the state of, wait a minute, that's not true? Where, where, yeah, what, that's, what, what, that's where I was. I was, I, you know, of course, I knew nothing about what, Mike McQuery had done or anything of that sort, but perhaps, John, looking back naively so, I did not uh, feel that I was in any jeopardy at all. Because you knew you had done nothing wrong. 
I knew the truth. Right. That's right. Okay. And, 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 and frankly, what I have learned in all this is innocent people are often the most vulnerable because they tend to believe in the system and they think I did nothing wrong. I got nothing to worry about. Uh, and that's clearly, uh, you know, with, you've acknowledged some naivete there. Uh, because in retrospect, it's obvious that they're targeting not just Jerry Sandusky, but targeting you. I mean, is that is that? Do you think that's true at this now in retrospect? Um, yeah, I think absolutely. I think that's the case, and and uh, not to uh, to do anything to to kind of justify my own uh, naivety about this, but Cynthia Baldwin didn't think we were in any jeopardy either. Mm-hmm. After this testimony was done. In January, we went all the way up through November, and uh, there was never any further discussion about, you know, you might have some trouble here, you better get an attorney. There was never any discussion like that. And in the, so the first time you ever even thought that you could be in any jeopardy was on this phone call seven about seven years ago uh, today, just short of that, or just a little bit more than seven yes. years. Um, it was this would have been like early November of 2011. Uh, you're in a phone call, and Cynthia Baldwin, Penn State's uh, general counsel, says, "You guys, I'm I'm hearing uh, special from the attorney general's office that you and Tim, you Gary Schultz and Tim Curley, are going to be indicted." Uh, and uh, what was the nature of the rest of that phone call? Well, uh, the specifics of the indictment she was aware of, there was going to be a felony perjury and a misdemeanor failure to report. Uh, So we were told that. And we were told that we needed to get attorneys. And uh, I said I would be back in town on Saturday, and uh, Graham and and, uh, Cynthia Baldwin suggested we meet on Sunday and uh, Cynthia would do some work in the meantime to try to round up potential attorneys for Tim and I. And I'm assuming, and I'm sure you'll correct me if I'm wrong, at this point, so Cynthia Baldwin and, and obviously Graham Spanier are very supportive of you and Tim, correct? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Is it bizarre for you to think in retrospect the way that Cynthia Baldwin has handled this since then, that she was supportive of you in that phone call? Well, she was supportive, you know, then and 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 following as well for quite some time. Um, you know, my my assessment of the whole situation was that uh, the attorney general's office was was getting frustrated overall uh, as they perceived the uh, lack of cooperation from Penn State, and I think they were prepared to actually charge Cynthia Baldwin. And I believe that in order for her to save herself, uh, she decided that she was going to tell the attorney general's office things that they wanted to hear in order for her to uh, get off the hook. That sounds uh, very familiar. I think that's happened several times in this case, and I agree totally with your assessment. I'm also curious, and you and I have never talked about this, uh, so I'm going to be fascinated to hear your response, but did it occur to you at the time, probably not because it would have been too difficult to put all the pieces together, but in retrospect, do you uh, perceive that the reason why the Attorney General's office went after you and Tim specifically, and to me there are two main reasons. One, I do think they wanted to go after Graham Spanier 
for political reasons and after Penn State, but from a from a legalistic standpoint, do you agree that it was a strategic move to indict you and Tim because they knew that you and Tim were a threat to their case against Sandusky because you did not validate Mike McQuarrie's story. And in fact, you contradicted Mike McQuarrie's story in several key elements. Do you see that motivation as part of what happened with your indictments? I think both of the, the motivations that you cited. Um, I have no, no, no doubt uh they were very much after Graham Spanier and less interested in me, and I suspect him as well. Uh, there were at least two occasions, as I recall, over, over the years where all this was playing out, that uh, I was uh, – it was suggested that they would negotiate a plea, plea bargain with me in return for my testimony against Graham. Um, it was clear that they were after him. And I believe, too, that the governor had several reasons, at least two, um, that he was very upset with Graham. And I understand from other people who know the governor that he's a very vindictive uh, man. And We're talking about him. former Governor Tom Corbett, a Republican, uh, Correct. who was also correct. the former attorney general of Pennsylvania when this investigation began. Began. That's mm-hmm. correct. He was actually the attorney general, ran for governor, and when all this uh, – came down, of course, he was, he was now governor. And so you agree with the, the political aspect, but what about from the legal standpoint? So you also agree, you, you said, but I just want to make sure we get this on the record, that, that you, you believe that part of the motivation here was to protect Mike McQuarrie because by discrediting yes. you and Tim. Yeah, I mean, John, as soon as the, you know, the, the fact of the matter is from the perception of all of this, as soon as the attorney general comes to a conclusion to indict you, you are, you are no longer credible. You are no longer believable. Plus, your uh, attorney is telling you to shut up, right? Yeah, sure. That's so, exactly right. So, so effectively, what happened here, it sounds like you agree, um, but let's to make sure, that the, that the prosecution realized, okay, we got a problem. We got a problem here because we only have one witness against Jerry Sandusky after... 40 some mm-hmm. years of allegedly being a pedophile in a very pub, very public way. We've got one witness named Mike McQuarrie and the two people that he spoke to about this, two very well-respected people, Gary Schultz and Tim Curley say nothing close to a sexual assault was ever discussed. Uh, interestingly, other people might told like Dr. Dranoff Dr- uh, also say very similar things, but they were not targeted uh, because they were friends of Mike, I guess. But but by indicting you guys, you not only become an uh, instantly lacking in credibility because oh my gosh you're under indictment, but also you're also shut up. You're not going to do any interviews because your lawyer is going to tell you, uh uh-uh, uh, no, we you need to protect yourself. You become effectively uh, in in a very defensive mode rather than in an offensive mode about trying to tell what the truth is. You agree with all that, right? I, I absolutely agree with it. And, and to me, and it took me a while to figure this out, Gary, but I think that's key to understanding a lot of the whole case. Because when you understand that, then you understand a couple other things. You understand that 
that the the case against Sandusky was not brought from a position of strength. It was it was brought really out of a position of weakness, and so therefore, because of the weakness, the prosecution needed to create as much of a bang as possible. They chose the timing just after Joe Paterno becomes the all-time winningest football coach in college football history, just before the last home game of the season, which was going to be this triumphant celebration of Joe Paterno. It happens off in an off week for the football team uh, that uh, you guys get indicted instantly so that Penn State, uh, the narrative is that Penn State was covering for uh, for Jerry Sandusky. And all of this creates a perfect storm, especially in the media, that makes it impossible for Sandusky to defend himself and also achieves the objective of pinning the blame on Penn State, which is what Tom Corbett wanted because of his feud with President Graham Spanier. Is there anything I just said there that, that uh, you, you take issue with? No, no, and, and I would only add the element of the, uh, of the, uh, the press and in particular how the uh, attorney general manipulated and set up the uh, the media uh to add to the to the perfect storm so to speak that uh, Jerry and and Tim and I would you know it would it was just overwhelming there's no way anybody would ever listen to us and believe us is there anything in specific that you want to you mention or you you remember regarding well, the way that the know, media they, was they manipulated? Were with a very young cub kind of reporter, Sarah Ganim, and uh, making her feel like you know she was quite special. And uh, they leaked some information, as I understand it, prior to the official release of the uh, of the uh, presentment, um, and and so it, it was set up to be a media show. Very much a media show. When the presentment came out, the media was poised for it. Uh, they took it hook, line, and sinker. I never knew this, but the presentment was extremely exaggerated and, in some cases, completely wrong. Uh, and, and I got to believe that was completely deliberate on their part to create this storm. Yeah, they needed a bomb. They needed a yeah. bomb. They needed a bomb because their their whole philosophy. And again, I'm not. I'm not a conspiracy guy, as you know, Gary, um, and, mm-hmm. but I do believe in people pursuing their own self-interests. And so they believed that Jerry was guilty. And so therefore, I think they believed that the ends justified the means. We're trying to put this horrible pedophile away. And the only way we can do it is we got to shake the trees as hard as we can. And out of those trees are going to fall all of these legitimate accusers because there's this this hesitancy to accuse this this beacon of the community, Jerry Sandusky, of these horrible crimes. That was their premise. And in order to do that, they needed a nuclear explosion right off the bat. Now, what I don't know, and I'm curious if you, what, what your opinion is on this, and this is purely really, I think, an opinion situation. I have never believed that Joe Paterno was really a target of this. I think Joe Paterno became a, 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 a collateral damage uh, that was created by the news media that Corbett never really even anticipated. What, what is your view on that? I, I think that's true, um, but I think they did foul up. Um, and, and if you go back to the presentment, one of the inaccuracies that uh, you know created this perception, um, and I don't have it in front of me, but basically they, they say in the presentment that McQuarrie observed Sandusky 
having anal sex with a boy in the shower. And then I think there was another sentence, I don't remember what it was, but the following sentence was, and McQuarrie uh, met with Joe Paterno and told him what he saw. Right. Any any common sense person would read from that, that McQuarrie went to Paterno and said he saw Sandusky having anal sex with a kid. Right. And, and of course... That's not true. Even Mike McQuarrie says it's not true. Gary, you, that was the perception created by this presentment. Gary, you said it exceedingly well, and that's really that's really the whole case here. The whole case is in those two sentences that you just stated from a that are totally false. Both of those statements are totally false. By the way, they would be false if Jerry Sandusky was the worst pedophile in the history of Pennsylvania. Those sentences are totally false. And they are meant to inflame. And as you've already referenced, the media bought in hook, line, sinker, led by, as you mentioned, Sarah Gannam, this 23-year-old cub reporter at a tiny little newspaper who suddenly becomes Woodward and Bernstein together uh, magically because she's getting all these leaks from the attorney general's office, many of which turn out to be totally false. Um, and so so you've, you've stated it exceedingly well and i and i agree with you about um you know the the issue of joe paterno they certainly didn't do joe paterno any favors i would love to know whether they they understood how much they were uh putting joe paterno in jeopardy because because i also have to you have to remember gary even though they're discrediting you and tim they need joe right joe is the greatest misconception of this whole situation in the, in the media, to me, is that Joe Paterno somehow is is uh, the, a villain in all this. If Jerry Sandusky is a pedophile, which, as you know, I, I know that he's not, but let's pretend that he is, Joe Paterno is a hero here. Joe, because without Joe Paterno's testimony, they never even arrest Jerry Sandusky. Because think about this. If Joe Paterno had said, Either I don't remember what Mike told me all these years ago as an 80, almost 85-year-old guy, or um, I, Mike didn't say anything about uh, this at all. I remember it was, was discussed, as you guys describe mm-hmm. it, as horseplay. If he had said that, and you said that, and Tim said that, if the three of you guys are all in lockstep, there is no chance Mike McQuarrie is going to be taken seriously by a public when he's contradicted by Joe Paterno, Right? Good point. There is no way. So Joe Paterno is necessary to them. He's their star witness. Well, I think he got duped. (laughs) In what way? Well, he had the same uh, kind of meeting ahead of time, and and, uh, I believe he was somewhat groomed. Uh, I, I, you know, this is an area, John, that I am completely void of facts. There's speculation that he didn't remember the alleged March 2002, which we all know was wrong event, and might have called up Mike ahead of time and asked him to refresh his memory, uh, whatever. And so he went down there, um, and uh, but in the meeting, uh, ahead of the grand jury presentment, you knew darn well, based on the way they handled themselves and questioned you and made statements to you, that they were looking for you to acknowledge that you knew Jerry did something sexual in that shower. And I think Joe, you know, somehow 
got into a position that he kind of agreed. Here's my theory, Gary, uh, and I'd love to get your impression of it. My theory is this. Joe, obviously, is trying to do the right thing. He knows he's Joe Paterno. He knows that his word carries way more weight than most people. If he contradicts this prosecution, this investigation, that's a big problem. Uh, he's also got his, his son and lawyer, Scott Paterno, whispering in his ear that we can't create that kind of a problem. And Scott has been duped, to use your word, into thinking that Jerry is guilty, even though he doesn't know Jerry at all and he wasn't involved in any of this. And I think that Joe, as a, as a conservative Republican who's a law and order guy who believes in the prosecution, this is a Republican-led prosecution, and, and, and Mike McQueary... Who, and it's, I think this is vital. At this time, when Joe is really not fully in charge as head coach, and I've been a high school coach, I know how communication on the sideline works. It's not the same level of a college coach, but I, I get it. Joe's conduit to the field at this time period was Mike McQueary. He, trust, mm-hmm. he trusted Mike McQueary. He had no reason to distrust Mike McQuarrie. He had quarterbacked for Joe Paterno. So he, so you get this, this series of circumstances surrounding Joe where Joe has reason to trust the people that are telling him that this thing really happened. And he's trying to do the right thing. And so he hedges his bets because he doesn't remember. Does that, is that a scenario that makes sense to you? Well, I think it's certainly plausible, and I don't know anything else that makes more sense than that. I really don't. So that to you is the most sensible scenario based upon... As far as my thinking goes, yeah. yeah. Okay, so so let's talk about the actual episode, the episode that destroyed Joe Paterno, uh, destroyed uh, you and Tim Curley, and, and later Graham Spanier, the president of Penn State, although he was fired, uh, effectively fired almost immediately. Uh, destroyed Jerry Sandusky, destroyed a whole lot of people. But the essence of this whole thing is the episode we've already referenced, which is Mike McQuarrie as a graduate assistant at Penn State allegedly witnessing Jerry Sandusky engage in some sort of a sexual act which was misreported in the grand jury presentment as anal rape, which he never said, uh, and he certainly never said that he told Joe Paterno that. It was reported at the time when you got indicted and Joe Paterno was fired that that event occurred on March 1st, 2002. Now, as you well know, Gary, I believe that this whole case is about the date. It's not really about whether or not, you know, people don't like talking about this, understandably, because it's icky and you don't like talking about the circumstances of a grown man in a shower with a teenage boy. I get that. To me, <clears throat> you don't even need to talk about that. To me, all you need to understand is the dates. And when you understand the dates you realize how absurd this whole thing is. So, And you are key. You are the most important person in the world when it comes to understanding these dates. So uh, let's, let's go through this, all right? Sure, sure. Okay, so the March 1st, 2002 date, as it was reported, <coughs> excuse me, as it was reported back in November 2011, was based upon Mike McQuarrie, saying to them that he thought this happened over spring break because there was very little activity going on 
on campus, and it was very quiet. And then the, the prosecution actually used they, – they, they did some reverse engineering on the date because Mike remembered it was a Friday – and that, uh, so they went to March 1st, the Friday before spring, or the Friday of spring break from 2002. And so they're, they're, they're painting this picture to the grand jury that, see, Jerry has contrived this because he knows that on the Friday night of spring break, there's not going to be anybody in the lockers. He'll have privacy, and he can do whatever he wants to this boy. That's the implication, right? So Exactly. Right. So, so they... They come up with this date of March 1st, 2002, based on nothing, really, but recollections. And, uh, and, 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 and by the way, when you were t- asked about this in the grand jury, did the March 1st, 2002 date ring true to you, or did, it, did you think— No, I couldn't remember. I, I, you know, I couldn't tell if it was 2001, 2002, and, and I certainly didn't know it was you know, February of 2001 at the time. Okay, so you, so, but did it feel weird to you? Did it feel off to you at all? I mean, was there any? No, no. You just didn't give it. I just couldn't honestly remember. So you didn't give it a lot of thought. No. And Mm. and of course, it's important to remember you're not on trial here. You're you're thinking, you're just trying to help, right? So yeah, I'm there trying to uh, remember uh, as best I can and tell them what I remember. Right. So so it's not something you gave a lot of thought to the the date. Okay, so. That date um, uh, becomes embedded, in, and to this day, as you know, it's still reported sometimes as being yeah. March 1st, 2002, which is amazing because that's not even what got testified to at Jerry Sandusky's trial. We all know that that date is impossible. And part, right. of, and part of how we know that date is not true is because of your emails. And, right. and now... Everything about this case is the exact opposite of how it's perceived. And you are perceived, because of this uh, secret Sandusky file that you supposedly kept, um, that somehow you were covering up for Jerry Sandusky. When, in fact, the reason why the date was learned, the real date was learned, or at least potentially the real date, the date that was used at trial, which I still think is flat-out wrong, which we'll get to shortly, the reason why the date got changed from the time of Jerry Sandusky's arrest and Joe Paterno's firing to the time of Jerry Sandusky's trial seven months later is because your emails showed that this, this event was triggered by a meeting on February 10th of 2001 with Joe Paterno, correct? That's correct. And you voluntarily provided that information, correct? Yes, I did. All right, so let's just be clear. This is an important point. So the media narrative is you helped to cover up for Jerry Sandusky, I guess knowingly, for what motivation, I have no idea. Uh, I guess because, you know, football, right? I mean, you know, it's, it's the ultimate uh, football culture, even though Jerry was a, a – it's important to note, Jerry was retired at this point. Uh, That's correct. Yeah, and so Jerry Jerry was not part of the football program. He had no power in the football program. He had an office that he never used. He was a – coach emeritus or whatever but jerry jerry was not somebody who had any real great cachet at this time right i mean no real power correct that's correct okay so so um you this person you gary schultz who supposedly is covering up for jerry zanesky you voluntarily say oh my gosh look i've i got this information that i found where all these emails that were talking about 
this event involving Mike McQuarrie reporting to us. You guys should take a look at this. I mean, I'm, 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 I don't, am I mischaracterizing it? Or is, is that close to what happened? <laughs> it's slightly exaggerated, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I turned over my file with all the originals uh, to the Attorney General's office in the, uh, in the spring of 2012. Um, and uh, it was based on information that was in that file, both emails and uh, contemporaneous notes that I had taken at the time, that made it, I think, very irrefutable that the, this meeting with Joe Paterno occurred on that weekend of uh, February 10 of 2001. So that swung the date convincingly right now, away from March of 2002. Okay, but if you were covering this up... Why would you have provided this to the attorney general's office? Well, yeah, the, the, you know, I don't know what they think, but uh, I was never covering it. <laughs> uh, this. This whole idea of a secret file, I think, was was for the most part uh, created by Louis Free when Louis did his review, and that's a whole other part of this saga. Now- but. Uh, when I testified in the grand jury, and you can look at, at the grand jury transcript, uh, they asked me, do you have any any uh, material or file or, or whatever? And I said, not with me. And I said, I, I, I think I did have a file. And I may have destroyed it, threw it away when I retired, because you know, I cleaned my file drawers out with stuff. I may have gotten rid of it. May have. I wouldn't have told them that if I was covering it up. Right. And the irony is, even though I told them that, no one went to look for the file, apparently. Yeah, why now, is some that? Some people believe they did. And then there's another whole conspiracy thing that they had to file right from the beginning. But the fact of the matter is, you know, we talked earlier about me being uh, going back to work in uh, 2011 as an interim uh, while they were hiring a replacement, I was sitting in the office that I had previously occupied, and the file we're talking about was in that office. I didn't go looking for it, but it was there. Why did it take so long from the time of your indictment to the time that 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 you were able to define that and and to turn it over? Was there a reason why it took a, took a while? Well, I I don't know all the background on this, but the reality is, John, the the, the the truth is, uh, my administrative assistant, Kim Belcher, was being the intermediary between the university and me for various things uh, at the time, right after the uh, presentment. So she would come to the house and ask for my keys, ask for my parking permit, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, I told her that I had a personal file that I had left lay on the conference table that I wanted her to. I wanted her to uh, to look for and, and return it to me. So I think she came back a second time and um, handed me the Sandusky file and said, I found this file, and I think it might be helpful to you. Oh, God. And I looked at it, and honestly, John, I couldn't, at the, at the moment, I couldn't even open it up. My heart just, I, I mean, I, I don't believe I've ever done flip-flops like that. In any other instance. But coincidentally, the following morning, I was driving to Pittsburgh to meet with my attorney, and I took that file and gave it to my attorney the following day. 
Now, I did peek at it. I didn't read everything in it, but I did peek at it. I noted the date. I knew that it was a 2001 set of notes. So I was aware of that at the time, and I gave it to my attorney. And, you know, my defense attorney held on to it for a period of time and then turned it over to the attorney general's office for reasons I, I don't know. You, you know how once you get into these things, each side does whatever yeah, in I their mean, best interest. And so he didn't turn it over for a few months. And I'm, and I never really thought about this, but it probably was a mistake to turn that over. I mean, uh, well, I don't think so. Well, no, I mean, it, I, well, <laughs> no, I mean, it, you know, it's it certainly, I mean, in the spirit well, of then, just trying to get to the truth. No, 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 no. I, I, I totally, I, I totally agree. And, and obviously no one at the time knew we were in, in Alice in Wonderland where nothing, yeah. where nothing was going to make sense. And, and up was down and down was up. But um, I'm just thinking about it from the standpoint of wouldn't it have been awfully powerful if the if uh, at Jerry Sandusky's uh, trial you were able they were able to uh, uh, after the prosecution had already invested themselves in the March 1st 2002 date for them to come forward with uh, oh by the way uh, it's not you got the wrong date the wrong month and the wrong year. Uh, that, yeah, I mean that might have been a you know kind of a Perry Mason or whatever right, kind of right, a thing, right. but but I believe that my attorney felt that I was in jeopardy. Sure, I, I get it. Information okay, and I, I get it, but it's, and it's not that important now. But so, yeah. so so let let's let's continue on with this. So so your file proves not when the event occurred. Let's be clear about right. that. It proves when Mike McQuarrie went to Joe Paterno. Is that correct? Exactly right. Okay, now that's key, and I think it's the key to the whole case, because we now know that it was in the morning, Saturday morning of February 10, 2001, that Mike McQuarrie comes to see Joe Paterno. The prosecution, once they get that, they need desperately for for the event to have occurred the night before, because mm-hmm. because if it's the night before then it's urgent, right? They, you, you see what I'm going with this. They need, they, yes, I do. They need Mike to be as urgent as possible because obviously he saw a rape. So, right. so if, 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 if it has to be the night before, because if it's anything other than the night before, then you go, well, wait a minute, Mike probably didn't see anything that's urgent because he's not acting urgent. So, so the night before... Okay, I buy that. If something, you know, it's a late on a Friday night, you don't go see Joe Paterno on a Friday night, or why even going to see Joe Paterno is a whole other story, but, uh, and not the police, but okay, Saturday morning, I get it. So they become invested in February 9th as the date. Now, I'm assuming there was nothing in your recollection that would have been, at the time, that would have uh, set off any alarm bells regarding February 9th. Is that accurate? That's correct. In fact, I, I believe that it was February 9th. When I heard about it the first time, I believe that it was a, a very recent um, situation that uh, Mike McQuarrie observed in the shower. But you no longer believe that now, correct? No, I don't. I mean, for, for several reasons, John. You want to tell them now, or should we yeah, go through the well, timeline? No, I can. I mean, uh, you know, I've learned these things over time, some of it from other people, um, very very little of it that I come up with, but I, I've digested things that I've heard from other people that I believe. Um, my understanding is that McQuarrie's um, 
uh, report to the Attorney General's office, as you noted earlier, was that this, this event occurred when the campus was very quiet. No one was around. Uh, and from, from that, they you know, kind of drew a conclusion that it was probably a spring break, because all, all other times, something, you know, people are around. This is a campus of 40,000 students and 15,000 employees, you know, blah, blah, blah. There's people around all the time, everywhere. Uh, Lash building is right next to a residence complex and, and so forth. So, I mean, if there's, no, you know, if it's quiet and nobody's around, then something's going on, and spring break could be a plausible reason for that. So, and then, but secondly, this, this was another thing that never got reconciled. Mike apparently was claiming the night that he went to the Lash building and observed Jerry in the shower that he was watching a football game. And he decided, he said he got motivated watching this football game that he was going to go to the Lash building and pick up some recruiting tapes, I think, and uh, get a pair of sneakers that he had in his locker room. Well, spring break of 2002, which is where they you know, were originally going, would not have had a football game. But that was kind of brushed aside for a good amount of time. Nonetheless, uh, as time went on, and we knew then based on my file that it was February of uh, 2001, and uh, we believe the event probably occurred on, on the Friday, February 9th, uh, some people, and I can't remember, there's no attribution that I can recall, but some people did some research and found that, oh, my goodness, on February 9th, 2001, there's a major concert going on on campus in the Bryce Jordan Center. Right across the street. Which is right across the street from the Lash Building where the shower was. And, uh, of course, classes are in session. That resident hall complex is there, and uh, it's a Friday night. There's also the a hockey, a hockey game going on. There's a hockey game going on in that very building. Yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. But that, yes, there was also a hockey game that to was me, going on right next door. The hockey game is almost a bigger deal than the rock concert. Because, <laughs> well, in terms of its proximity, but, you know, the Bryce Jordan Center, when there's a concert going on, it's lit up. No, I know. I, I, I understand neon that. Light. Nobody, if there was a concert going on, nobody ever would have mistaken that campus for being quiet. Nobody's around. Right, so, but the hockey game, just to be clear, starts at almost exactly the same time as this event allegedly occurred. It was a very late start. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 by, and, and I believe you told me that the hot, even though the hockey game probably didn't have a lot of people there, Mike wouldn't even be able to find parking. Well, yeah, the, the hockey arena, which at that time held about a thousand people is stuck in a corner of campus where there's minimal parking and it, it, uh, the, the parking for the lash building, uh, would have been used for the patrons of the uh, hockey game. Right. So he would never have thought about this being spring no. break. And and that's the main thing, John, that led me to say, now, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. It couldn't have been that night if Mike felt that the campus was quiet. And I, and I believe that part. I, I, you know, whatever else he told that I don't believe, I believe that he, he recalls the campus being quiet. Okay, well, let's, let, there's a couple other things, though, that are important here, too. Then I don't know that you and I have discussed. So let's get it on the record here. If if Mike was trying to rack his brain about when this happened, right? Mm-hmm. One of the things that sets off alarm bells for me, first of all, 
the idea that uh, he thinks it happens after 9-11 when it now, we now know it heard, occurred before 9-11, that's a big problem memory-wise for me because I think you would, you would not get that mixed up if this was that big of a deal. That's number one. But number two, there's another thing about that week. February 7th of that week is National Signing Day mm-hmm. for, for recruits, which, as you know, for Mike McQuarrie as a graduate assistant, that's a huge huge day as are the days after that so he's very busy and it's an anchor event that he would connect to the event you see what i'm saying he would go Mm -hmm. that was just oh i remember that was just after national recruiting day he also would have been busy as hell which he just which is contrary to what he's describing he, he describes basically having a bunch of time on his hands and he's bored and goes over to the last building for some reason. Now, you mentioned the football game. Now, this, this is, I want to make sure we're correct about this. I, I could be wrong. I have never seen him say I was watching a football game. I, I always thought that what that football business was about was that the prosecution came up with this idea that he was watching a football movie on February 9th because they looked at the TV schedule and saw that the movie Rudy was going on. Now, In my opinion, John, was their lame attempt to try to reconcile the fact that he said he was watching a football game. No, I agree. I agree totally. My understanding was that he said, well, I remember the night I was watching a football game and I got, a, I got uh, you know, juiced up. I got excited about football. And I decided to go to the Lash Building, and that was that's how he stated his rationale for going what, to the Lash Building. Where, where, where did he, to your to your recollection, Gary? Where did he reference watching? Was that in his grand jury testimony? John, I can't tell you exactly, um, but I believe it would have been yes. Okay, that's important. Uh, or it could have been in some notes that have become public in the meantime wow if, if you uh, ever if you ever stumble across that if you could direct me to that that would be uh, that would be important because here's why because that's always been my theory my theory was that this is all reversed engineered mike tells mm-hmm. mike tells them i was watching football they go wait a minute you can't be watching football because mm-hmm. it's march or then it's february even the super bowl's over by february 9th and so you can't be watching football on that Friday night. There's no football game. Let's take a look at the TV schedule. And that's then they correct. And they find Rudy, which in my mind isn't even a football movie. Um, right, and that, that's the closest they could come to kind of, you know, uh, justify the, the statement that McQuarrie thought he was watching a football game. Well, it was actually a movie, and yes, there are some football game shots in the movie. And, so for for them, that was their way of kind of connecting the dots of oh. McQuarrie thinking he was watching a football game the night of this. Right. Event. Well, and by the way, I have that TV schedule in the uh, in the school newspaper that day, and it's the only thing remotely close to football. Mm-hmm. And by the way, it starts way too late. Way too. No, <laughs> nobody gets inspired by the first half of Rudy. Uh, um, it's uh, you don't get inspired till the very end, and by that point, this event is totally over. Okay, so so when is there a day? This is a good segue. When is there a day that um, that uh, where Mike could actually be watching football? And as you know, um, and I I blame myself for this, Gary. Uh, I should have been all over this way sooner than I was because I didn't trust my instincts. But when I interviewed Jerry Sandusky in prison the first time, I 
could tell he did not believe the February 9th, 2001 date was possible. I, I could feel it in my bones. And I did some investigation of it, and it, nothing made sense. But I, couldn't, I just couldn't believe that the prosecution could get this wrong twice, which was, mm-hmm. stu- which was stupid. I just, I just, that just seemed inconceivable to me. So when I reinvestigated it after it became clear that February 9th was impossible, I, I, and I don't need to get through all of the details, but I, I through Jerry Sandusky and through an old college friend of his who had no idea why I was even talking to him, I was able to connect the actual date to an event that I think is key to this whole story, which is Jerry Sandusky being up for the head football coaching job at the University of Virginia and not getting it and his book coming out and him doing book signings. And and long story short, Jerry Sandusky finally has been convinced by me uh, that the actual date that this occurred was a different Friday, which was December 29, 2000. And on December 29, 2000, if you look at the TV schedule, there's football everywhere. And in, sure, it's bowl, bowl season. And in fact, there's a Peach Bowl game that ends between LSU and Georgia Tech that ends at like 8.30-something or other uh, that is perfect uh, for Micah to decide, okay, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sick of watching football all day. Uh, I'm going to go do something. Uh, and that would take him at the Lash Building almost exactly at the right time for this situation. Uh, obviously, campus, <clears throat> you're not going to get a more quiet date on campus than December 29th, right? Well, exactly. Um, and, and I don't know how germane this is, but uh, Penn State, of course, had a terrible season, football season, in 2000, and, and we were we were not at a bowl game. That's very germane. That's very important because Mike has yeah. nothing to do. See, th- he, he, he's hanging around. You know, the coaches are done. There's nothing going on. Um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, he's, he's cooling his jets, just hanging out. And that's, and that's incredibly important because this was very, very, very unusual for Penn State. Penn State's football season usually ends on January 1st in this era. But in this case, it, it actually ended, I think it was the Friday after Thanksgiving. Uh, I mean, it didn't even make it into December. Because uh, that you know they didn't have the conference championship games at that time, and and so so he's already in his off season for well over a month by December 29th. There's no recruiting during this period. There's no one on campus. There is nothing to do for Mike McQuarrie, and and that is much more consistent with his own testimony about the circumstances of when this happened. But. I realize people aren't going to believe Jerry Sandusky. They probably won't even believe his college roommate, even though he had no idea why I was contacting him. And he confirms a phone call that Jerry made on his way back from a book signing in Washington, Pennsylvania, getting back to State College on the night of December 29th, which is he remembers very clearly having this shower with a 13-year-old boy by the name of Alan Myers, who ends up Mm -hmm. becoming a huge supporter of Jerry Sandusky for many years, including as a 24-year-old married sergeant in the Marine Corps. And, and I've gone through many, many times that he has insisted that Mike McCurry is not telling the truth and that nothing remotely sexual happened that day. Of course, he later, after the trial, becomes a, an accuser and gets about $7 million from Penn State under very uh, dubious circumstances. But there are other reasons why that December 29th date, I now believe is the date. <clears throat> By the way, do you believe that that's the date, Gary? Well, it, 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 
I believe that it's not February 8th. And then I start scratching my head and saying, based on the football game he was supposedly watching and based on the fact that he believed that campus was very quiet, and it had to be sometime prior to February 10th when he went to Paterno. So you start backing up and saying, when could this have possibly been? Well, I, I get back to the end of December. I don't know about the 29th, but that's my own analysis. And then when I'm hearing that's what, what Jerry's recollection would be, based on some very credible things about you know the Virginia coaching job and and uh, some other things that he talked about with book signings and so forth. Um, if he thinks it's the 29th, I can't. That that's right in the you know in the zone where I think it kind of makes sense. It's it's in that time frame. Well, and there's and to me the most important element of this uh, timing is that we actually have testimony from a friend of Mike McQuarrie's, which is totally consistent with this. And you are the key to understanding why that is. So let me go through that with you right now. I know we've been taking a lot of your time, but we're almost done. So hang in with me. You're doing great. Uh, the, the, uh, the issue is Dr. Dranoff's testimony mm-hmm. and, and Dr. Dranoff has been used by the prosecution as really being uh, the linchpin for Mike's credibility, because supposedly Mike goes to see his father and this Dr. Dranoff, a friend of the McQuarrie family, and I believe also Mr. McQuarrie's boss, uh, it goes to see him the night of the episode. Again, showing urgency that Mike has seen something terrible and he needs to talk to people about it. Now, Dr. Dranoff testifies that three times during that meeting he asked Mike, did you see something sexual? And Mike says no. And, and Dr. Dranoff does not urge him to go to the police, which, as a mandated reporter, you would presume that he would. Um, but he tells him to go, supposedly, go see Joe Paterno. Well, um, in his one of his many testimonies in this case, uh, Dr. Dranoff is asked about a meeting that he had with you, mm-hmm. al- along with Mike McQuarrie's dad, John McQuarrie. And he's asked, how long was the time period... From the time Mike comes to you to tell you about this episode and the time that you meet with Gary Schultz on a different matter involving Penn State University, but where you, at the end of that meeting, you and John McQuarrie ask Gary Schultz for an update on Mike's report about Jerry, correct? Correct. Okay, and he he responds, uh, at least in one of his testimonies, indicating that it was about two or three months, not two or three days, two or three months from the time period that Mike tells him about Jerry Sandusky and the time period that he has that meeting with you. Now that, now the prosecution loves that because they're not thinking this through. They think that that is an indication of a cover-up, right? They think, wow, this thing has been slow walked so much that Dr. Dranoff and John McQuarrie are as so agitated that they haven't heard anything about this after two or three months. They can't take it anymore. And they actually ask Gary Schultz, and you're, you are overseeing the campus police, the head of the campus police reports to you at this time. So they're so agitated by this, they can't stand it anymore. And they ask you for an update, right? That, that was the prosecution narrative, correct? I think so, yeah. And so that, but there's a big problem. There's a huge problem. And that is that you know when you had that meeting, basically, 
when you had that meeting with uh, with uh, Dr. Dranoff and John McQuarrie, and you know from being able to piece together your own recollection, when you're on vacation, when spring break was, you're able to pinpoint that, that meeting occurred somewhere in around February 21st to February 23rd area, correct? Is that accurate? That, that, that is the best I can come up with, John, and I feel comfortable with that. And let's be clear on what's that that's based, because you're, let's forget about calendars for a second. Your recollection is that it occurred a couple of days after you and Tim Curley met with Mike McQuarrie, correct? That's correct. And we know, it's weird that we don't know the exact date on this, but we know that the meeting with Mike McQuarrie occurred either on February 19th or February 20th, about 10 days after his meeting with Joe Paterno, uh, of 2001. So, so we, we know that. We, we're, that has been documented and accepted as fact, that that meeting between you, Mike McQuarrie, and Tim Curley occurs either February 19th or February 20th. You think in your mind's eye, that it was a couple of days later that John McQuarrie and Dr. Dranoff asked you for an update. Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah. I uh, and, and I think there's two reasons for that, John. I, I come at it uh, almost 180 degrees opposite and come to the same conclusion. Um, I became aware that uh, John Dranoff had indicated, I guess, one place it's two to three months, and another place it's stated as one to two months uh, between when the incident of Mike McQuarrie observing Sandusky and to be to just to be this, clear, just to be clear, in one I believe the one to two month situation was him being asked that question by I think Mike's attorneys referencing one, one one to two months, but so it wasn't out of Dranoff's mouth. That was out of an attorney's mouth, but it's still relevant. But we're so okay. we're somewhere in the one to three month range, right? Yeah, I, mean, I, yeah. I exactly. But uh, you know, I I only found that out. You know, I don't know, maybe a year ago or so. I didn't know that for a long, long time. Right. Uh, that, I think that, I think I was uh, the one that told you <laughs> that he said that it was that that much of a time lapse between the two. Well. Um, my recollection was that it, it happened very con- contemporaneously with all the rest of this stuff. And as as you noted, I believe that Tim and I met with McQuarrie somewhere around the 19th or 20th. McQuarrie himself testified he thought it was a week or 10 days after uh, he met with Paterno that Tim and I met with him. That puts it into the same time frame. So there seems to be some strong you know, indication that it was around the 19th or 20th that we met with with Mike, my recollection was that our, as you stated, my meeting with uh, with uh, John Dranoff and McQuarrie, it was a business meeting after which they invited me to come to John McQuarrie's uh, office, and they 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 brought up this, you know, where do things stand with Sandusky? My recollection was that was shortly thereafter uh, meeting with with Mike. Now, I. I look at my calendar, and um, I don't have a copy of my calendar. Let me make that clear. But I have a lot of emails, and uh, the emails from my administrative assistant and other sources very, very clearly document uh, what I was up to around that period of time. Uh, I had left town on the afternoon of 
February 26th and uh, was involved with budget hearings in Harrisburg and then immediately thereafter I went for, this was unusual, but I made a commitment and I stuck with it to a two-week vacation in Florida with my former boss and a, and a very good friend, work colleague that had retired. Okay, so let's be clear about this then. So February 26th is a Monday. So you start Correct. you start on a trip on a Monday. So you know this meeting would not have occurred on a weekend. Uh, and, and you know it didn't occur the week you were gone. And you know it didn't occur the two weeks later when you're on vacation. So that's, a three, that's now three weeks after the 23rd, which is a Friday, which is the latest day you think this could have happened. And the, and, the, and the linchpin to me as to why you know, it's not just your calendar and your recollection, but by the time you come back from spring break, this thing has already been handled. It's over. That's correct. That, that's correct. So, so I, I literally, uh, when I return from vacation, go to board of trustee meetings in Hershey, so I'm still out of the office. And don't really get back to the office until uh, the 19th of March. Now, if I would have been meeting with Dranoff and McQuarrie sometime after the 19th of March, this whole thing would have been settled. It, it would be behind us. Exactly. And I know the discussion uh, with the two of them uh, at the time was that th- this is still being looked into. This and- was not settled when... I had this discussion with the two of them. So it would make no sense at all for this conversation to have occurred in late March of 2001, which is the next time period when it could have. So so you know very convincingly that the meeting with Dr. Dranoff and Mike McCurry's dad occurs either the 21st, 22nd, or 23rd. Which is that's exactly right. Like, which is, and I and I get at it from both those angles. One is that's my memory that it was very contemporaneous, and then secondly, it would make no sense uh, based on the conversation that I very clearly recall that this meeting could have occurred any time from late March on. Okay, so now we have a a a, a marking point that is critical critical to understanding whether or not this whole story is wrong and the reason why we have that is because we have dr dranoff mike McQuarrie's friend a, a, a key prosecution witness saying that that meeting took place up to three months after he had originally met with mike well let's let's just use common sense here we've got indications it could be one month two months three months Let's take the middle ground, two months. What's February 22nd, per se, minus two months? You're now in late December. And, I, mm-hmm. would, and I, would, I would argue that changing a year psychologically extends your memory of how much time has passed. You understand what I'm saying? That In other words, mm-hmm. that if you're thinking it was a couple of months, uh, you might add another a month because you just you change the whole year you, you go through the holidays new years what have you i mean that's just my assessment of the way memory works but i don't i think that's rational but re- regardless we're far closer far closer to december 29th than february 9th which is impossible and and, and because february 9th at this point is less than two weeks ago so that's correct and and and, and so and by the way and you know, I have not talked about this. This is something that just occurred to me, Gary. But I, I'm big into the psychology of people and what their mindset is. 
Doesn't it seem odd to you? And has it ever seemed odd to you that John at McQuarrie and John Dranoff would be agitated at all just a couple of days after Mike met with you? Unless, of course, Mike didn't tell them that he met with you on the 19th or 20th. And Mike didn't tell them he met with you on the 19th or 20th because he was supposed to have reported this two months prior. <laughs> yeah, that, that certainly sounds like it. It, it seems plausible and, and, and very uh, believable. This is his dad. Okay. Yeah. If he... And they're very close. But, <clears throat> but, you know, again, I was close to my dad. I don't tell him everything no, but, either. But, but hold but, on yeah. a second. Hold on a second. Let's, let's, let's rewind this for a second, Gary. So, so the, he meets with you and the athletic director to supposedly report that Jerry Sandusky has sexually abused a young boy that he mm-hmm. witnessed, that he had told his father about previously, that his father and Dr. Dranoff say urgently, you got to go see Joe Paterno and tell him about this, not the police for some reason, but Joe Paterno. And, and this meeting occurs. And he never bothers to tell his dad, oh, by the way, I met with Gary Schultz yeah. and Tim Carley today. Right. Well, it didn't happen that way. I, uh, that's exactly my point. Is, no, yeah, that, that, it didn't happen that way uh, at all. No, here's, here's my synopsis. You know, here, here, here you got a guy who, who I believe as, as you know, jumping you know, kind of to the bottom line here. This event occurred at the end of December 29th, sounds right. And uh, not only was he not agitated to the degree that he would call the police, but when he was ultimately advised to go see Joe Paterno, he slow rode that, and, and it was almost two months later before he went to go see Joe Paterno. And, let's and then there's another coincidence that week. Well, that's where I'm going to go. Let's talk, about, right. let's talk about why he really went to go see Joe Paterno. And I well, think, and, and, and I mean, my my speculation is, I mean, you just look at at circumstances. Uh, he was dying to be on the staff. He's a graduate assistant, and there was a vacancy that occurred and and was announced that week. Kenny Jackson leaving Penn Kenny State. Kenny Jackson went to the Pittsburgh Steelers, and, and I believe that happened something like Thursday. It would have been, you know, it happened on Thursday. It was reported everywhere by Friday morning. And right. what, and and when does Mike go see Joe Paterno? Saturday morning. Saturday morning. And what does he say? Right. What does he claim that Joe Paterno said when he called him? Do you remember? I don't have a job for you. If this is about a job, don't bother coming over. I don't have it. Right, right. And I was in the Paterno home where I mentioned that exact quote, sitting at the exact table where Joe and Mike <laughs> were supposedly having this conversation, which I don't even believe happened now because of Sue Paterno's email that she sent to somebody else involved in this case and Sue Paterno turned around and screamed at me that never happened now you know Sue Paterno way better than I do uh she supposedly has an amazing memory and I believe that someone who's married as long as she has was to Joe Paterno and who was there that day there's a reason why she's positive that Joe Paterno didn't say that because Joe Paterno didn't say that and I believe Mike McQuarrie made it up about a dead man because it was covering the real reason why he went over there Right. Um, uh, you agree with that? Yeah. I also think, Gary, and you and I have talked about this. I think there's another thing going on, which I've already implied, which is I think that Mike is terrified of the fact that his dad and Dr. Dranoff are going to realize that he never reported this. And 
let's do the math on this. Do you have a guess as to when that meeting with Mike McQuarrie's dad and Dr. Dranoff would have been scheduled? Let's say that you oh. that you actually did meet on the 21st to the 23rd. Would it have been normal for you to schedule that two weeks in advance, three weeks in advance? Yeah. When, yeah. About how long in advance? Yeah, two, three weeks would be fairly common because okay. everybody is awfully busy. Okay, so let's see. Two guys were running a medical practice and, you know, how, how hectic sometimes that can become. And, of course, my calendar was incredibly uh, booked. And so, yeah, two, three weeks would be very, very okay, consistent. So, so let me hit you with a scenario here. Let's subtract two or three weeks from the February 22nd realm. Where, mm-hmm. where, where are we? We're now in that week of February the the sixth, leading mm-hmm. up until February the tenth. So if it, it is quite possible, it's quite possible, by the way, that, that there might have been a meeting February 9th between Mike McCurry and Dr. Tranoff, but it had nothing to do with this. It was it was it could have been about hey we're um, we're going to meet uh, Gary Schultz in a couple of weeks we're, we're you know we're going to ask him about this, and this is pure speculation on my part, but it could have easily been brought to Mike's attention that his dad and Dr. Dranoff were going to meet with you and that this was going to be brought up. Well, if, if well, that... It, yeah, that'd, that'd be possible, and you could see how that would motivate Mike to get off his rear end and go talk to Paterno. Right, because now he needs, he desperately needs, there to have been a report. Otherwise, he's going to look like a complete ass once yeah. once his dad and Dr. Dranoff come to you and say, hey, what's up with Mike's report about Jerry? And you go, what are you talking right. about? <laughs> right? So so yeah. so we now have two motivations for Mike. We've got the offensive motivation of wanting the job and getting face time with Joe Paterno. We have the defensive motivation of I got to protect my own ass here. You mm-hmm. see you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So so I am I am morally convinced that December 29th was when this really happened and that that blows apart everybody's narrative it, it blows apart everybody's credibility it blows apart mike's credibility the prosecution's pr- credibility because they've gotten it wrong twice and most importantly it shows that uh that there was no urgency here that this was not done because mike had just seen this horrible event this was something completely different just in con- which was consistent with your testimony and the consistent of tim uh, kim, tim curley's testimony and there's another element of this i just need to get on the record here gary which i'm not sure you've ever thought about but maybe you have i think you have actually you have thought about this because we've talked about this but jerry himself gets caught in this because when tim curley asks jerry sandusky about this which did not occur until probably early March, uh, uh, ironically, maybe March 1st itself of 2000, which was in a year different than the, the date. According to Free, he met, now, Free is certainly not the gospel. We all know that. But according to Free, I, I have a note that he says that the meeting with Jerry occurred on the 5th. However, I believe that there were two different conversations that uh, Tim and Jerry had. Okay, but regardless, and that's that's good information, but the important part here is Jerry's not asked about this by Tim Curley and Penn State until sometime in early March, and Jerry's first reaction is, I don't know what you're talking about. Correct. And that is perceived, even by me at the time, as deceit, right? That's somebody who's trying to obfuscate. That's someone who's got been caught in something and is trying to, to mm-hmm. lie about it. But what if the event didn't happen when we're told it was, that it actually happened in late December, 
and this is a long lag. Why would it's perfectly reasonable for Jerry not to remember ex- immediately what Tim is talking about if he's being asked about it, especially by the way when he's being given the wrong day. He, he's being told this happened recently because Tim was told right. that it happened recently. Do you, do you do you see where I'm going with that? No, I and I've thought about that, and I agree. That's that's another indication how Jerry reacted to that interaction when Tim approached him initially. He seemed to deny it, doesn't recall showering with anyone, and and um, after a while, I don't know if they had a, a second face-to-face meeting or could have happened on the phone, but they talked subsequently, and Jerry said, yeah, now I do remember. But and- I don't believe Tim ever, I never got a sense from Tim in any conversations that we had that he translated any of his discussions with Sandusky to the fact that this event occurred so long in the past at the end of December. Because Tim wasn't told that. Because Tim was not told that. Now maybe, by the way, I don't know that Mike told him when it happened. He might, Tim might have just assumed that you would tell me this immediately. And, and, and once that gets assumed, and by the way, there's a good chance that he presumed that because Joe presumed that. So once Joe did, Right. So once Joe Paterno presumes a fact, that's pretty powerful, right? I mean, that, that mm-hmm. once once that gets into the narrative, no one's going to question that because it's Joe Paterno. So I, I'm not blaming Tim here. I, I'm I'm saying this is all McQuarrie's fault, and that uh, and that what really had transpired here was very very different. And the evidence, in my mind, is overwhelming, overwhelming. In fact, even Alan Myers. Uh, uh, testimony is consistent with this because Alan says on the day Joe Paterno was fired that he was sure that the March 1st date was correct. Well, that was wrong, partially because that's what the media was reporting. But also, if you think about it from Alan's perspective, the kid in the shower, he doesn't remember the shower, but he damn well remembers Jerry telling him that Penn State might talk to him about it. That's a memorable event. Well, that doesn't happen until March. So, so that's it all... It all meshes perfectly and I, I guess what i'm struck by gary is do you think that if you had never been indicted and uh and and your credibility was still as strong as, as it was at the time as a very re- well-respected member of the community with a, a child center in your name that if 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 you had taken the stand in jerry sandusky's uh trial and let's say that i had been cross-examining you and and this what the conversation we just had had transpired in front of the open court. Do you not think that this entire narrative would have been dramatically changed? Well, I absolutely I do. Um, you know, I I think it would have blown the whole thing away. Um, even even with the incredible amount of pretrial publicity and the bias that was already whipped up and and built in. Uh, I think the timeline as far as when the shower incident occurred versus when McQuarrie went to Paterno would be extremely sobering and would have caused everyone to doubt McQuarrie's story. Are you con- are you convinced or do you have any reason do you have any reason to believe Gary Schultz that Jerry Sandusky is a pedophile? No. It's unbelievable. This whole thing is unbelievable. 
Um, all right, let, real quick, Gary, I, I, I promise we're, we're closing this up, but I just want to make sure we get everything on the record. So Jerry gets convicted. The free report comes out. Sanctions against Penn State. There's a many multi-year prosecution of you and Tim Curley and then Gary uh, Graham Spanier, your former boss, the president of Penn State. And finally, um, a bunch of the charges against you, perjury and, and some of the, the other felony charges against you are dropped. But you plea bargain to a misdemeanor, uh, which, of course, cements in the media's mind that, aha, this was all real. This was all true. There really was a cover up. I'm guessing this must have been the most difficult decision of your life. Is that accurate? Well, it was extraordinarily difficult, and uh, and, and um, it's just not true. I didn't ever feel I was guilty, um, and, and but my attorney and my family convinced me, and, and there's there's logic to this. I, I was willing to to acknowledge. We, we, you know, we were aware of surveys that had been done uh, in Dauphin County, wherein uh, one of the questions was along the lines of, even if Curley and Schultz did not do anything illegal, do you think they should be punished? And it was overwhelming majority said yes. I knew that our jury pool was coming from Dauphin County, and with that kind of mindset down there, I had real serious doubts as to whether I would get a fair trial. Very, very serious. So my attorney said, look, you get convicted on any of the felony counts that still remained. He said, you're, you're going to go to jail, maybe not for the rest of your life, but for a long time. So I was faced with that as a prospect, fearing I would not get a fair trial because nothing was seemed fair up to that point, and the survey certainly would indicate that there's there's not much objectivity and open mindedness right in the jury pool, uh, and and therefore I agreed to the to the uh, plea to misdemeanor, and even that turned out to be worse than what it was presented to me. You, 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 you believe at worst we would get house arrest so and you, probably just probation. So to be clear, for the record, you were misled about what the punishment would be when you took that that plea bargain. There was no guarantee. You know, it was it was somewhat you know conjecture or speculation on my attorney's part. But he he, he said if you go and get convicted, you're going to be in jail for a long time. If you plead to this misdemeanor can't see that the judge would see any merit in putting you in jail. <laughs> uh, he may put you in house arrest, but I think even that isn't likely. You're going to get yeah. on a probation. Well, Gary, you should have talked to me uh, because, um, you know, in all seriousness, I mean, when uh, I, I had this conversation with Anthony Lebrano, then a board member, I said, because uh, he, he was making the argument that you guys did the right thing, even though he knew you were innocent. Uh, because you know the, the the punishment will be very light, and this is you know, obviously the jury mm -hmm. pool's the jury pool is is dead set against you. And I said um, you, you're not understanding something. In a normal case, uh, this this is not. Uh, in a normal case, uh, the media might negatively react if there's an over punishment to a judge. Uh, hey, what's this all about? In this case, the opposite's going to happen. And there's no downside to a judge over-punishing uh, Gary Schultz or Tim Curley in this case. None. In fact, the fear is under punishment. 
and uh, and and I turned out unfortunately to be right, um, and 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 you got totally hosed. Did, how much did it impact you though, Gary, to know that you would be forced to effectively testify against your old boss, Graham Spanier? Well, John, again, I believed that my testimony against Graham, or, you know, in Graham's trial as a prosecution witness would not be that damaging to Graham. I was going to tell the truth, and I could not see how what I had to say was going to be a problem for him, even though I knew, of course, the jury's dealing with the same prejudice in the jury pool. And and here's something that happened that, that tended to reinforce this to me. In the closing argument made by the prosecution in Graham's trial, she says to the jury pool, Tim Curley lied 90% of the time, and Gary Schultz was better, but not by much. She did... She lied. Later on, I found out that she didn't believe that at all. But when asked why she made a statement like that, she said, I'm trying to get a conviction. So she can lie to the jury pool. Again, (laughs) the end justifies the means to these people. But she was trying to discredit everything that Tim and I said because it didn't help her case to get a conviction. Well, I'm not sure if the ends justify the means for her because she's dead now. So um, there, there you go. There's 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 <laughs> there's that. But um, but I, look, I I am incredibly sympathetic to your cause. Obviously, Gary, you know that. Um, and I was there for your testimony. Um, and and were there parts of it that I didn't like? Yeah, there were parts of it that I did not like. But I was not in your shoes. Uh, you might find this interesting, and I don't even know if you remember this. But there was a moment that I realized that you knew that Jerry Sandusky was innocent. Do you, rem- do you remember when, when you got asked uh, about your regret about all of this? Do you remember what you said about why you regret your, your, your actions and all this? Does this ring any bells to you? I remember the question. I can't remember exactly how I responded. Your, your answer was genius. You, you, you said isn't it obvious? And then you stopped. Like, well, gosh, you know, my, I wasn't able to stop this horrible pedophile and all this damage occurred. That's how it was interpreted by everybody. And I looked at it and go, Gary realizes Jerry's innocent and he's, he's, hiding, <laughs> he's hiding behind a perfect answer because it'll be interpreted whatever way people want to interpret it. Was I right to interpret it that way? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I do believe that. And, and here's what I would officially say. It's It's Somewhat, I guess, of a, I, I ask myself, uh, you know, is it a cop-out? But I, I say to people, you, you could debate, I believe, whether Jerry's innocent or guilty. I, I believe he's innocent, but I, I don't know 100%. I think he's innocent. But I say, but I, I can't imagine anyone who would question whether or not Jerry got a fair trial. There's no way in hell that guy got a fair trial. Mm-hmm. So I, I will stand by that completely, and I believe he's innocent. Somebody else may think he's guilty. I think they're wrong. Well, of course, 
you would know if he was guilty because you're the one that was was convicted of uh, supposedly uh, looking the other way or in some semblance of... Well, uh, that uh, incident was, uh, you know, I, I know exactly, you know, what I knew and what we had done and, and so on. Um, all the other accusations and so forth, I have no freaking idea. Right, but obviously... But it just doesn't make any sense to me. Right, you would have heard about it, right? You, you, there would have been things you would have known. Uh, and that, and there would have been, there would have been O.J. Simpson-like evidence uh, that you would have been familiar with, and, and that's not what happened. Right. And, uh, and by the way, right. you also knew Jerry and his personality, and you knew that he was the kind of guy who could get wrapped up in a in a false uh, narrative because he was very naive and and had a uh, a strange sense of personal physical boundaries, right? He he, he in my opinion is even more naive than I was um, about all this. Um, I think, yeah, he had a strange personality. He had a, you know, just the way he behaved. He was, he was a, he was a clown. He joked around. He treated every kid as if it was his, his, his own son or daughter that he would be involved with with the second mile. Never had any inkling, in my opinion, that there was evil out there. It could come back and bite him. And that's what happened. Unfortunately, he was very vulnerable to it. Um, last couple of things here. Uh, I'm not going to ask you about what transpired, because I, I, but are you, are you able to tell me, uh, for the record, when you did go to prison, who you were mm-hmm. incarcerated with? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who was that? Well, um, I... I reported i believe the date was uh, january 15th or july 15th excuse me july 15th and uh, a day or two prior to actually physically reporting to the jail uh, i was interviewed by the warden and um, he he was one of the few by far less than a handful when i say a few who seemed to be a decent, reasonable guy. Anyway, he asked me if I had a problem with Tim Curley, and I said, absolutely not. He said, well, I'm going to put the two of you together in the same cell. And that was a blessing. And why was Tim that? And I spent two months together. He had an extra month that then uh, he served beyond when I was discharged. And is it true uh, that even though you were incarcerated with Tim Curley, the man, the athletic director with whom you're connected in this case, in the same cell for two months, that you never discussed the case? Mm-mm. And that wasn't because the only of the- thing we, we've ever really said. Well, first of all, our attorneys scared the crap out of you about talking about this because that's a big no-no if it ever comes yeah. out that you had talked about it. They'll use it against you and so forth. Tim... Tim listened to his attorney very, very, very carefully. And so he had no appetite at all to discuss this with he and I, or between he and I. But we would make occasional comments like uh, he would say, oh, Schultz, what the hell are we doing here? (laughs) You know, things like that. Uh, He's never talked to anybody about this. Uh, No, he, mm. he doesn't want to. Is it is my, yeah. Is it? I, I don't know Tim at all. I, I've gotten to know Graham very well. I think I've gotten to know you pretty well. Um, but I, I I don't know Tim at all. My my 
sense, though, is that this has come close to breaking him. Uh, is that a fair assessment or not? Um, he, so far anyway, Graham still in the process, has taken it worse than me. I've not taken it well, but I've, you know, I've, I've made it. I'm fine. Uh, I think he's, he's hurt worse by this. Tim is, you mean? Yeah. And, and, and is that because, again, this is just my uh, surmising, I mean, in, in a sense, he did have the opportunity, if he calls Alan Myers, to potentially have killed this whole thing. And he decided not to do that for whatever reason. Do you think that, that, that he feels like he allowed this to spin out of control? Or I don't know. I mean, you know, you could speculate just based on circumstances that he might be blaming himself a little bit more. Uh, he, he was certainly the one carrying the ball for the most part in this whole thing. Um, and at the end, he, he he's the one that said, I'm not comfortable with the plan. Well, if we would have proceeded with the plan that we had in mind, it would have been an entirely different world. Um, but I'm not blaming him. Right. I mean, under the circumstances that played out at that time, what happened happened. And it's not his you know, his fault, but, you know, you look back at it and there were some key points there that uh, he was he was instrumental in that these, these this could have turned out quite differently. Mm -hmm. Well, I actually think you guys handle it almost exactly as you should have, uh, <laughs> which is which is amazing. Um, uh, do you I mean, do you still do you believe that do you, you handled it the way it should have been handled? No, I, you know, I I, I still am of the opinion that we should have turned it over to child services to look at. You're I'm not, a, by the way, I'm you're a, not convinced I'm that a belt and suspender kind of guy. I didn't think there was going to be any harm in it. And I was advised by Wendell Courtney. I don't remember this, but uh, it, I, I accept the fact that I didn't have a legal obligation to do that, but it would be a wise thing to do. Um, we knew what happened in 98. They looked at it, said showering with a kid is, is not, you know, is not illegal, but, you know, let them look again. It's always, you know, it's done confidentially. Uh, nobody knew anything about 98. That went on for a month, and it never leaked out. So I, I still think the, the prudent thing that we should have done at that time was follow the three steps that we had laid out. By the way, him, is it true that you changed his mind? Is it true that you're not you, you're still? I'm vaguely remembering from your testimony. You're not still 100 percent sure that that didn't happen. That's right, because I for for what weird reason? This is one of the the things I can't explain. My memory. I've been I've been walking around for years since 2001, and I can't put my finger on on why. Thinking we did turn it in, and if you look at my grand jury testimony. That's what I said. Yeah. Yeah, I think we turned it in. Is it? I don't know why, because now I see the emails, and, and you know, Tim says, well, you know, he waffles. And, and right. didn't say we weren't going to turn it in, but it certainly made it conditional. And mm -hmm. somebody, after all of that, when I got back into town uh, late March, either Graham or Tim probably said something to me that, 
I must have misunderstood or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's my speculation. Okay. I don't remember it at all. Well, well Gary, you... yeah, I did think we turned it in. Well, and and again, be, and <laughs> because you you knew there was nothing to hide. You knew that that this was yeah, uh, uh, yeah exactly. Okay. Well, Gary, you've been incredibly generous with your time, and I and obviously taping this at a time period. When you, when you know we're not going to release it because of fear of what might happen with your parole. So thank you for trusting me in that. Uh, you're, you're smart to do so. I think you know that I'm very trustworthy. And, I do. And, um, and is there anything else anything else that you think is important that people should know about what really happened here? No, uh, John, you, you've, you've covered the, you know, the water uh, pretty well here, uh, things that I was thinking about that I could you know, add some value to. And uh, we, we've covered it all. Gary, thank you so very much. Uh, I'm so sorry that this has happened uh, to you and to so many others, but uh, I do appreciate you uh, caring enough about the truth to have the courage to tell it. Well, John, I've said this uh, before. Uh, I admire you and just thank you for your perseverance and your caring about this whole thing. You're one of the few people that have had the the guts and the tenacity to, to really keep digging, and I hope you don't give up. Thanks, Gary. Let's keep in touch, okay? All right. Take care. Have a good night. Bye-bye.